If you have your Bibles today, I wanna ask you to take them and open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter six for this morning's message. 1 Corinthians chapter six, as we look to God's message today and the passage of scripture, I wanna preach to you on the subject, glorifying God in your body. Glorifying God in your body. You know, just a moment ago, we sang that song that Jesus is our living hope, and we said this statement of testimony. We said, Lord, you have broken every chain. I have a question for you this morning. Do you believe that God can break every chain? Do you believe, seriously, that God can set you free from any sin, any addiction, any struggle? Do you believe that? And then the second question, don't answer out loud, is this. Are you walking in that freedom and deliverance today? See, the Bible tells us loud and clear as we've been studying God's word that our lives, everything about us, are intended for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we saw it loud and clear last week. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything about our lives should be to give God glory. When we think of God's glory, we think about his greatness and his power and his majesty. But it is the glory of God that evokes a response from us. As we consider the greatness of God, the revelation of who he is, his power, his authority, his majesty, his grace, and his mercy, it brings us to a place of response, a response where we have faith in him, a response where we obey him, a response where we love him and live for him. Today, as we open God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to specifically ask you a question to consider, and hopefully you can answer by the time you leave here today, and that is this. In what ways in your life Are you glorifying God in your body? How is your body glorifying God? And that sounds like a weird question, doesn't it? I imagine that most people haven't asked you that question this week. But the fact is, is that with our bodies, we do a million things just about every single day without a lot of careful thought or attention. For illustration's sake, maybe this morning, just for illustration, you, you got up and without even thinking about it, you were smacking the alarm clock or the cell phone or whatever. You just kind of like, you did it without even thinking about it. And maybe you got up out of bed and you kind of stumbled your way into the kitchen where you made a cup of coffee without even really thinking about it. In fact, you probably didn't realize who your name was until you got that first cup down. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's just me. But, but you had that cup of coffee and then you realize, you know what, I, 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 I gotta put on some clothes because I'm going to Crosslink this morning. And so you, you walked into the room, you walked into the closet and you got some things together and you might've even done the good smell test to make sure it was clean and you, you put it on. You didn't even hardly think about it. And, and then you moseyed all around to the bathroom sink and you, you brush your teeth, you went through the motions, at least I hope you brush your teeth this morning, right? And there are so many things with our bodies that we do without even thinking about it. But when it comes to glorifying God in our body, the Bible is showing us loud and clear that it demands intentional effort, discipline, and a God-driven focus in our life. First Corinthians chapter six, Paul is writing to a church, frankly, that was very corrupt with sin and a church that looked no different than the culture around it. And it's in that, frankly, sexually perverse culture that God speaks these words through the apostle Paul. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Listen to what God says through the Apostle Paul, beginning in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to the end of the chapter. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers 
will inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to this statement. Underline it if you need to. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, the stomach's for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet, listen to this statement. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Listen to his conclusion. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your what? In your body. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us today to hear your truth, to believe your truth, and to respond where it's needed with repentance so that you might transform us, set us free, and help us to walk in victory from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want to preach to you on the subject, glorifying God in your body. Glorifying God in your body. Truth be told today, there is much in this text that makes people in our culture uncomfortable. There's much in this text, even by the very words and verbiage, frankly, that goes completely against the grain of our society today. Everywhere we go and everywhere we turn, every device we obtain and just about every means and every messaging possible, we are inundated with sexual imagery and messages in our culture today. To be clear this morning, there is much more to glorifying God in your body than simply addressing sexual sins. In fact, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a list of things. In Galatians chapter 5, where the Bible gives a contrast between the works of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, again, there's a long list of things. But it is interesting to note that in both cases and situations, God speaks through Paul and begins specifically with sexual sins and perversions. We don't like that word perverse today, but it literally means to be distorted and twisted. It implies that God has a straight path, a straight plan, a clear purpose, and yet in our culture, the world ever since the beginning has constantly been trying to turn it and twist it for its own purposes. We see that from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter one, two, and three, we see the story of creation, and we're reminded of how God created Adam, and God created woman, and he brought her to be with him as husband and wife. The Bible says that they were husband and wife, that they were naked, and they were not ashamed. The Bible also says that God spoke to them and said, be fruitful and multiply, thus implying both the pleasure that God was giving and the purpose for which God was bringing this incredible gift of marriage and that of sex. It should not surprise us then to find that the very institution, the first institution, and the very gift that Satan has sought to distort and pervert so much from the beginning has been that of the gift of sex and the institution of marriage. I want 
want to remind you this morning that it was after Adam and Eve had sinned against God that they realized their nakedness, they realized their guilt, they were overwhelmed in shame, and as a result, it brought a wedge between them and even a division in their relationship with God. Today, Satan is still using his deceitful schemes and temptations to cause guilt and shame that deceive, divide, and destroy. But God today speaks through his word to say, there's a better way. There's a plan and a purpose for which I created you. And yes, even in 2021, regardless of the culture in which you live, regardless of what the world is saying, God is, God is holy and his plan and his path is always perfect. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God gets to a climactic summary at the end of verse 20 when he says, therefore, glorify God in your body. This is a summary statement. In light of everything that I've said prior to this moment, I'm calling you to glorify me through your body. The idea of glorify is this. Live your life in such a way that your life, your energies, your actions, even that of sexuality, that all of it is for his praise, his glory, his honor, and his exaltation. So what we see in this pastor scripture and what we're gonna see in our text today in our, our study is this. God is answering for us the why. See, the world says, look, no, 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 God has these rules. They're old and they're ancient and they're archaic. That's, that's just old, we, we don't do that anymore. The world says, you are your own boss, do whatever you want to do. The world says, you can be who you want to be, you can do what you want to do, you can do what you want to do with whoever you want to do it. You define you, you do you. But God speaks loud and clear to show us that he is the creator of sex. And he is the creator of marriage. And because he is a creator of these things, he has given us a clear, abundant definitions and clarity, a blueprint, if you will, for what that should look like in our life. So why should we glorify God in our bodies? It's not merely because he said so. Parents, have you ever been there before? Kids asking the question, you begin to explain, you begin to explain, and after a while, you, it just blurts out, because I said so. Well, God answers loud and clear why we should glorify him in our body. Five reasons from this text, and I've got to speak quickly. Number one, we glorify God in our body because we are cleansed by Jesus. Now, to, just to remind you, the context of this is that everything Paul is saying, he's writing to a body of believers. These are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. You are not automatically cleansed. You were only cleansed by your sin when you put your faith in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for your sins. If you're living your life rejecting Jesus, you've never turned from your sins and never turned to him, please understand, you are not clean, but you can be today. Loud and clear, the Bible tells us in this passage of scripture, he lists this whole long list of things. Don't be deceived, God says. Those who are living this lifestyle of sin, whether that's fornication or idolatry, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuality, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, listen, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, is what God says to the Apostle Paul. In other words, loud and clear is what he's wanting to say is, listen, you can be forgiven, you can be cleansed, you can be set free, but if you're living your life in a habitual pattern of sin where you have not been cleansed by Jesus, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it's interesting to note that both in Galatians 5 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the very first reference to sins of our body are all sexual in nature, immorality, impurity, and sensuality in Galatians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 6, he lists them this way. He lists fornications and idolatries and adulterers and effeminate and even homosexuals. 
Today, for us to understand that, fornication or fornicators are those who are participating in sexual acts outside of marriage. Idolaters in this context are those who are living their life for their own will, their own wants, their own pleasures, not for the pleasure of God. Adulterers are those who are participating in sexual acts in addition to marriage. Effeminate are those who are acting and desirous of being a sex opposite of what God has made them. And homosexuals are those who are engaging in same-sex relationships. And it's quiet. We live in such a sexually charged society that, we've, that there's all these sensitivities with these terms, but God says loud and clear, we shouldn't be surprised by this. In fact, we might look at these things and wonder, well, how in the world did we get here? How have we begun to define, redefine all these things? How have we begun to condone certain things? But I remind us in this culture, we not only condone all these things, we celebrate it. And Romans 1 tells us why. In Romans chapter one, the Bible tells us that God revealed his glory throughout all creation so that all men are without excuse. But because men love darkness rather than light, we wanted to be our own boss. We wanted to be our own God. We wanted to do our own thing. We rejected God's plan. And literally the Bible says we profess to be wise. In our culture, we profess to be wise. We got a new knowledge. We got a new science. We got this new understanding. But God declares that they are fools. Listen to this in Romans chapter one. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burning their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Verse 32 concludes, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. And yet in our culture, we call this sexual revolution progress. But I question this morning, is it really progress when we are perverting and twisting the very things of God? So, so the reality is that we need to understand that there are many who have hardened their hearts, frankly, because they've rejected God, they've rejected God's plan. We're gonna do our own thing. But as we hear this message today, my hope and prayer is that we'll also recognize loud and clear, there are also many hearts that have been hardened by the hurt, neglect, and abuse that they have experienced at the hands of others. And whether you have hardened your own heart to go your own direction, justifying your own sin, or whether you've been hurt and you've experienced abuse by the hands of others, what God is calling us loud and clear is to see this. Our only hope this morning is Jesus. Our only hope for cleansing, our only hope for deliverance, our only hope for victory, our only hope for change. It's not in DC, it's not in your political stance, it's not in your sheer willpower, it's not in the 12-step program, it is in Jesus Christ and a relationship with him. So five reasons we're called to glorify God in our body. Number one, because we have been cleansed by Jesus. Loud and clear, notice the scripture says this, it says this, and such were some of you. See, Christian, I think it's easy for us. We, we've got we to resist this. We can read these terms. We can look at the culture. And it's easy for us to sit on our big throne of, self, of condemnation and judgment. It's easy for us to look and say, well, I can't believe so-and-so is doing it. I can't believe what the world's coming to. I can't believe all these different things. But Paul says loud and clear. And by the way, such were some of you. In other words, you're not saved because you deserved it. You're not a part of the church of Christ because you earned it. 
because of how good you are, because your grandmama was a, a Bible teacher, because your, your, your grandfather was a pastor. You're, you're not the way you are because you grew up in some Bible belt. No, 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 no. The only reason you are in a different place today is because of the grace and mercy of God shed through the poured out blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You were washed clean from your sins. That's the entire context of what he's saying here. Loud and clear, he's, listening to, uh, he's saying to us loud and clear in this moment that the only way we can be cleansed is through Jesus. And you might be here today struggling with sin and struggling specifically with sexual sin and you might feel that you're trapped and in bondage and you can't get victory and you can't be changed and you can't move forward and you might be in like decades long challenges. But I remind you this morning, Isaiah 118 says this, come now. Today's the day. Now is the moment. You can be set free. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So clear and so cleaning is the grace and mercy of God that when the Bible says here, but you were washed, notice what else he says, you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Notice something interesting here. Every single one of those things he lists is already listed in the past tense as if it is a work that has already been accomplished. In other words, when you repent of your sin and you put your faith in Jesus Christ, at that very moment of repentance, you are justified. It literally means that you are declared righteous. Though you have sinned, though you've been immoral, though you've been wrong, you are declared righteous by the very righteousness of Christ. You are washed, your past is forgiven. Those things are cleansed of you and you're sanctified, set apart and declared holy. The very moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are cleansed through him. The Bible says loud and clear, we glorify God through our bodies because we have been cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. But secondly, there's a second motivation. We glorify God in our bodies because not only are we cleansed, but now we are changed. We are changed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. What that literally means today is this. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not gonna be perfect. You're not gonna be all that God wants you to be. That's a process of God working his life and making us more and more like Jesus. But thank God, you're not what you used to be. You are under new management if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Verses 12 through 14 tells us loud and clear that change that takes place. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, the stomach's for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for who? It is for the Lord. There's a change that has taken place in our life. The second week in a row, we've seen this word profitable. The question is we're considering actions and we're considering what we're going to do is, is it profitable? Last week we saw that from 1 Corinthians 10 and we were asking the question, the things that I'm thinking about, the decisions that I'm making, the thought processes that I'm pursuing, are these things profitable for other people? How will my thought processes and decisions impact others around me? But here the question turns to this, is it profitable for me? As I'm considering this temptation, as I'm considering this, for lack of a better term, place of vulnerability and weakness, as I'm considering the culture in which I live, is it profitable? And then the very next thing he says to us loud and clear is this, I will not be mastered by 
anything. What an interesting statement. The Apostle Paul here uses the same word that he uses in Romans chapter six, where he's talking specifically about temptations of the flesh and that of sin. In Romans chapter six, for example, there are many things in our life that we face with temptations that frankly, we might dabble with as if it's not a very important thing. There are many areas of our life, even in this sexually perverse culture, we can look at certain things that where we say, oh, no, that's really, really bad. But you know, this over here, I don't know if this is crossing the line or maybe this isn't crossing the line too bad. And so we begin to dabble in things like it's not that big of a deal. But the Bible tells us that when lust is conceived, it gives, brings forth death. And so what, what Paul is saying loud and clear is this, listen, there are things that maybe you're entertaining, there are temptations that you're considering. And what he's saying is, listen, don't let yourself be mastered by these things. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been delivered, you've been set free, you have been changed. In Romans chapter six, verse 14, he literally says, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but you are under grace. Doesn't mean that we're gonna be perfect, but if you know Christ, it does mean according to 2 Corinthians 10, that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are to live out who we are in Christ by the indwelling spirit of God. Verse 13 is an interesting statement because it seems odd that Paul would go from talking about, frankly, sexuality to now talking about food. It sounds very weird. What does food being for the stomach and the stomach for food have to do with what he's describing about sexuality? Well, basically in that culture, what was happening is this. People were feeding their fleshly, their, their fleshly lust. And as they fed them, they began to notice they were not satisfied. And so basically the people in that day, even in the church, were describing their sexual desires as that of an appetite. And as a result of that, they would go from pursuit to pursuit to experience to experience, partner to par partner, situation to situation. And Paul looks in that culture and in that situation and says, loud and clear, your body is not for immorality. The word for immorality here is the same word from which we get our English word pornography from. It is a general term referring to any sexual act willingly participated in outside of the context of marriage. And so here's what Paul's saying. As a follower of Jesus, your body, you've been changed. Your body is no longer for your pursuits, your wants, your temporary fleshly pleasures. Your body exists for the glory of God. Loud and clear. The body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Please understand today that in our flesh, we can crave all sorts of things. Sin promises great things, and, and it, it, but the fact of the matter is it never satisfies, it never fulfills. And that's why once you give into that sin, there's another longing, and there's another longing, there's another experience, there's another pursuit. Why? Because it will not satisfy. Please understand, the reason that your body is not fulfilled with sin is because it wasn't made for sin. Our bodies were made to bring glory to God and until our body fulfills its God-ordained purpose, there will be no fulfillment. Let me ask you a question. Who made your body? God. Who continues to sustain and strengthen your body? God. Who gave you the mind to process and to reason right now? God. Who gave you the ability to grasp things with your hands, go places with your feet? Who gave that? God did. 
And as a result of that, we recognize it is a stewardship that God has entrusted to us so that with our bodies, we would glorify him. Frankly, I was reminded of that so distinctly when we were on sabbatical this summer and we had gotten to San Diego and we had been there for a day or so when we began to realize we were sick and we were sick with COVID. And I remember that loss of smell, a loss of taste. And I remember like these just brutal headaches and the body aches. So never in my life have my fingers hurt like that. It's so strange and bizarre and weird. Like it affects your body. And yet I remember as we were finally getting on the, on the kind of the, the heels of that, we were realizing that COVID was kind of getting behind us. We went into the Yosemite National Park and we're looking at this beautiful picturesque view and, and physically my body was still weak. And yet in that moment, I was reminded that it was God who made my body. It was God who was there with us in that resort in San Diego. It was God who was strengthening us. It was God who was giving me breath. It was God who was helping our bodies to overcome. And I'm just gonna be perfectly honest, but in that moment, there was a sense of renewal, like, well, God, if you're giving me life, and God, if you're giving me breath, and God, if you're clearing my mind so that I can think, then everything about my body, it is to be for you. I'm so thankful for that moment because in many ways, it was a reminder whether God gives me another day or another year or another decade, hopefully another many, many decades, that everything about my body is meant to bring glory to God. That's his entire purpose. Your body was meant for God. So the question is this, how then are we using our body for God's glory and God's glory alone? John Phillips said it this way, our hands are to be his hands. Our feet are to be his feet. Our tongue is to be his tongue. If some sick person's pillow needs to be fluffed or someone's brow to be bathed, he has no hands but our hands. If some distant tribe needs to be reached, he has no feet but our feet to go. If a book needs writing or a wrong needs writing, if a language needs translating or a truth needs proclaiming, our body must be his body. If it is his, uh, or if he is to use my body as his body, then it must be kept pure. Third reason why. Why? Why do we glorify God in our body? Number three, because we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to Jesus. Listen to that statement in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now, I wanna remind you loud and clear, again, the context of this is speaking to those who've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 2 that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you might be religious and you might be moral, you might have a good family and you might even have good intentions. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you are separated from God. Literally that you are enemies of the cross of Christ. Yet Jesus came so that we might look to him and recognize that he alone is the Lord and Savior. Jesus came that our sins might be forgiven. Jesus came that we might be cleansed. Jesus came so that we might be set free. But Jesus came so that we might be not separated from him, but connected to him. Are you connected to Christ? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? For those who have, Paul says we are connected. Our bodies become members of him. Listen to this statement, Ephesians chapter five, verses 28 through 30. You remember that story as, as God gives us the picture of how a husband and wife are in relationship with each other. It gives us a picture of that marriage, verses 28 through 30. Husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. And all the ladies said, hey, hopefully all the men said amen too. 
He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Listen though, just as Christ also does the church. Why? Because we are members of his body. Romans 12, five, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. On the basis of this connection with Christ, When you believe in Jesus, you're connected with him. Literally, the visual imagery is that of a marriage. On the basis of this relationship to Christ, Paul then asks the question, shall I then take away the members of Christ, verse 15, and make them members of a prostitute? All right, so so I'm connected to Christ in relationship with him. I put my faith in him. Shall I then, now that I'm saved, take this connection with Christ, betray it, and give myself to a prostitute? That's his question. Now, now, let me just pause for just a moment. Time out, this might get really offensive, but let me just explain it for a moment. I have known many men who in their carnal fleshly natures have used this very verse to excuse sexual relationships outside of the context of marriage because a person did not have a title of prostitute. This word that Paul uses for prostitute is the noun form of the same exact word that he used prior in the passage, which is defined as immoral. Loud and clear, what Paul is saying is this. If you are connected with Jesus Christ in the area of your sexuality, you should live according to God's plan and purpose and anything outside of that is immoral. Anything outside of that is wrong. In fact, he answers his own question. So should I then, if I'm connected to Christ, abandon that to go connect with a prostitute? And he answers verse 15, may it never be. In other words, 2021, absolutely not, exclamation point, exclamation point, emoji with hands like, what are you thinking about, people? (laughs) That's what he's saying. Absolutely not. It is a contradiction. If you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're connected in relationship with him. So to give your life to immorality and things that are contrary to God's plan and purpose, it is spiritual adultery. Well, that sounds too harsh. Well, think of it for just a moment. Our relationship with Christ is so close that the Bible refers to it as a covenant relationship where he belongs to us and we belong to him. So clear is this imagery of marriage that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse two, Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy for I betrothed you, Christian, to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Ephesians five, that great imagery of husbands loving your wives, like Christ loved the church. And all of that is all in reference to the picture and the reference, verse 32, of Christ and the church. In other words, the point is that we are connected to Jesus like a marital relationship and as such, we should live accordingly. And when we turn away from God, when we turn away from him in our actions, when we commit ourselves to things that are not pleasing to him, he calls it literally that a spiritual adultery. If you don't believe that, go read the Old Testament book of Hosea. God gives the throughout the entire book an incredibly graphic imagery, imagery and picture of what happens when his people reject him and he literally calls them adulterers. Go read Ezekiel 16 when God looks at his people and declares, quote, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. His point loud and clear is this. If you're connected to him, if you have relationship with him, then devote yourselves fully to him. 
Fourth thing, why are we called to glorify God in our bodies? Because we are commanded to flee for Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's an interesting word of instruction here. So what do you do when the sexual temptation comes? Because listen, if you've been living and breathing for more than a few days, you're gonna face this temptation. I would imagine on some level, some way, shape, or form, the majority of us here this week have faced this temptation in some way, shape, or form. What do you do when the temptation comes? What do you do when you know that your flesh is weak? What do you do when, frankly, Satan has put a situation right in front of you? Listen to what the Bible says here in verse 18. Don't miss it. It's, it's literally two words of command. Here it is. Flee immorality. Everybody say with me, flee immorality. Flee immorality. Now, please understand this word flee is exactly what it sounds like. It literally means to make haste and escape. Pardon my French, but here's what it means. Get the heck out of there. That's what it means, okay? I mean, literally, when that moment of temptation comes, listen, there are some, oh, you know, I'm just gonna stand here. I'm gonna stand strong in the Lord. I'm gonna say, I know all the Bible scriptures. I mean, I was raised this certain way. I mean, I know, I know who I know. The Bible says when it comes to sexual sins, because we are so weak in our flesh, get out of there. Who do you think you are? Get out, flee immorality. The picture here is that of literally running from that, which is more dangerous than you realize in the moment. Flee immorality. Oh, but in our culture, even at times in Christian culture, it's either, oh, well, you know, you know, I don't know, I think I can do this on my own. You know, no, I, I'm, I'm just gonna get this close to the line without crossing the line, whatever the line is. God's in the flee from this. Can you imagine the thought in this context? The Bible tells us loud and clear in 2 Timothy 2.22, literally that we are to flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who called on the Lord from a pure heart, fleeing from these things. And yet, we need to understand this morning loud and clear that this is a command from God. Now, some of us given to the lies of the world, well, well, God's given this command, but it's just old and ancient, doesn't really apply to us today. I mean, God didn't have the science back then that we have in 2021, you know. Or, or, you know, it's, it's a new day. There, there's these new understandings and things, and so it's my body. And, and, and Please understand, God is the creator of marriage. God is the creator of sex. And God is the creator of your body. Why is it that we think we can cut corners without catastrophe and major harm in our life? June 24th, 2021, my family and I were on sabbatical before we were sick. And I'm watching the news and I hear about this building in Miami, Florida. Majority of us collapsed. 98 people died. And the outcry was, we've been warning, we've been telling them for years that there were problems, there were issues, and the more they've investigated, they're already finding that there were major corners cut in the development of this building. We look at that in such, it, it's, it's horrible, it's a disaster. Nobody should have to experience that. And yet, they now know that the developers cut corners and there were warnings for years and years. God is looking at us, he's like, I'm the developer of this. And I've been warning and I've been pleading. I mean, I mean the Bible is God's inspired word. It is to work and moving today, but it was written thousands of years. God's warnings haven't changed. And yet we look at that in situation with the church of Miami, we would never have rushed into that building if we knew the warnings. We would never go there if we knew they cut corners. And yet we're willing to cut corners in our own life. 
God, I'll pick and choose what I want to do. Thank you very much. But God says, flee from immorality. Illustration, Genesis 39. Joseph, young man, handsome and foreman in appearance. The Bible says that Potiphar's wife would constantly seduce him. I don't have to give you a graphic imagery in that moment. She's basically saying, I want to be with you. Come here. And one day she goes there into the house and she finds that Joseph is there alone and she grabs Joseph by the coat. And the Bible says loud and clear in that moment that he ran. He didn't stand there and debate with her. When she grabbed his coat, he fled out of that house. The old writers used to say it this way. It's better to run and lose your coat than it is to stay and lose your character. The fact of the matter is, it wasn't even a difficult decision for him. <laughs> you know why it wasn't a difficult decision? Because he had already determined in his heart that he would not sin against God. Verse nine of that text, he literally had already asked her days prior, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Please understand, in our culture, we are taught to condone it, that it's no big deal, that everybody's doing it, that God don't care and nobody else will know, but God calls it a great evil and a sin against him. Please understand in this command to flee, there's also an explanation. Verse 18. Please listen closely. Hang on with me to the very end because there's a powerful message of hope. But there's also a powerful message of warning in verse 18. Here's the caution. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. This is mankind, male, female alike. But the immoral man sins against his own what? Body. All sin is a matter of sin against God. And all sin has potentially harmful consequences in our bodies and in our lives. However, because of the nature of sex, the Bible tells us that when we engage in sex willingly, outside of God's gift of marriage, we are literally sinning against our own body. Satan would have us to believe it's a casual thing. Satan would have us to believe that there's really no commitment in relationship here. It's not that big. Satan would have us to believe because there's commitment that everything's okay. Satan would have us to believe that nobody will ever know that it's just this one time that you need this and after all, you deserve it. But God says this. It's a sin against our own body. Every aspect of our being is involved in the physical act of sex. Therefore, it affects us mentally, emotionally, visually, physically, relationally, etc. When we engage in that, we can't unsee what we've seen, we can't unhear what we've heard, we can't unexperience what we've experienced, we can't undo what we've done. Many give into the lies of the enemy today that they can engage in and do whatever they want without cost or consequence, but please just hear me frankly, that is a lie from Satan himself. John Phillips said it well. For the gratification of a moment's carnal desire, shame and guilt and sin are mutually exchanged. Damage is done to both partners in the illicit union. God's divine displeasure is evoked and sooner or later, punishment follows. Whether the encounter was premarital or extramarital, because it was not according to God's plan within the context of marriage, apart from the grace of Christ, it stays with a person. It may be experienced through private guilt and shame. 
It may be experienced by ongoing discontentment in one's marriage, even years later. It may be experienced through ongoing temptations. It may be experienced through a wandering eye or a wandering heart. It may be experienced through constant distrust of another. It may be experienced by withholding from yourself the joy that was intended for marriage. Frankly, there is no shortage of ways that the enemy wreaks his destruction in the lives of people through sexual sin. God just gives us here a simple warning for those who willingly go into this sin. And he says this, flee it. Because in doing so, you are sinning against your own body. You're giving in to the lie of the enemy and robbing yourself of the joy that God intends for you, your spouse, and even your relationship with the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter four. Maybe you're here and you're thinking that's really hard to hear this morning. Listen to what the scripture says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. He who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Final thing. Why do we glorify God in our bodies? Finally, because we are claimed by Jesus We have been taught to accept in our culture that it's our right, our life, our body, our choice. We can do whatever we want to do. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says something very interesting in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? See, as a follower of Christ, that means when I have given myself to immoral temptations, things that I saw, things that I did, things that I said, whatever, the Holy Spirit was there all along as a witness of those things. He tells us this. And that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. See, see today... It would be easy to close the message and wrap up and just say, well, that's that. That's the end. Good luck. That's not what God does. God reminds us today that you don't have to continue in your sin. God reminds us today that you don't have to keep going your path. God reminds us today, there's a better way than just merely living for your pleasures and your fleshly pursuits. Because frankly, living according to your flesh and your pleasures and pursuits, all of us living according to our flesh, will lead us straight to an eternity separated from God. But there is a better way. And that better way is found through Jesus Christ. The context of this entire scripture where he says, listen, you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. He's reminding us that every sin you have ever committed and every sin you ever will commit, Jesus has already died for. When Jesus went to the cross, as he was literally standing before the crowd, he cried out over those who were speaking against him and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he went to the cross and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. Every sin we've committed, whether in thought or in deed, every sin, even those that were sexual sins, the Bible says Jesus died on the cross for them so that we who believe in him can be washed clean, 
can be forgiven, can be set free. And with him today being the Lord and ruler of our life, we can live not in bondage to the old self, but we can walk forward in victory. We can walk forward in confidence. We can walk forward in change, not because of our ability, but because Jesus is living in us and he's living through us. And as he lives through us, he gives victory and transforms us daily, daily. Not that we're perfect, daily more and more like him. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Interesting statement here is this. It's a reminder for us that we were bought with a price. What is that price? 1 Peter 1, verse 19. It is the price of his precious blood. Listen to what the scripture says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. But you were redeemed, forgiven, bought back, claimed by Jesus with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the very blood of Christ. Can I say to you loud and clear this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can. It doesn't matter what you've done and it doesn't matter what's been done to you. Frankly, Satan just wants you to have a hardened heart and blinded eyes to the truth because he wants to keep you as one of his pawns. But God has made a way for you to be forgiven and set free. He's made a way for you to walk in victory, and that is through Jesus Christ. Let me share with you as I close. I'm gonna ask the band to come out and play quickly, play briefly. But here's the question, or here's the, here's the final kind of application. If you're here today and you're struggling with sin, which I imagine on some levels probably every single one of us, if you're here today and you hear this message and you think, man, I, I, I've been in such a lost cause and I have no victory in this area of my life. I'm struggling along the way. What do I do? I want to encourage you to do four things. and I'm going to say them quickly. Number one, repent of your sin. To repent of your sin means you're turning away from your sin and you're turning to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Second, request, ask God to deliver you from the sin. There are some believers who, who've been walking with Jesus or maybe been in the church for years and years and years and yet they're still living with all the deep shame and all the deep guilt. They can't move forward, frankly, because they're still dealing with the sins of the past. Ask God to deliver you. Third, start being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans 12, two says literally, God can transform us by the renewing of our mind. He literally can give us a new mind, a new way of processing. And the way we get to there is that we read God's word. We let God's word get in us every single day so that our thoughts are directed and governed by him and not by our flesh. Finally, you know Jesus, but you still find yourself struggling? Here's the final thing. Reveal your struggle or issue to a spiritually mature brother or sister in Christ so that they can encourage you, pray for you, and help you. There are many of us that are still living in bondage to things of the past, frankly, because we're allowing those seeds to stay in dark, hidden recesses of our heart without bringing them to the light so that God can deal with them and help us to walk in victory. What I'm saying to you today is this. You can glorify God. You can be set free but we can't do it in our own strength. We've got to look to Jesus and trust him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this time. Lord, I'm reminded in my own life personally 
And I'm certainly reminded in the context of of two decades of pastoral ministry that in the areas of, of sexuality, some of our deepest hurts and our deepest joys, some of our deepest sorrows and deepest celebrations all center around, frankly, a gift that you designed and gave to us. From the very beginning, Satan has been perverting that and twisting that. And at least from my perspective, when I look at the culture around me, it seems um, all the more perverted and twisted and pressuring and in your face than than at least it's ever been in my lifetime. And God, I know that we're not living in a vacuum. In fact, you... You've called us not only to be in this world, but literally to go into this world and to proclaim the gospel message of salvation. So Father, we know the answer is not some holy huddle of isolation, but instead to be clothed with your spiritual armor so that we walk in victory and so that we're the light that you've called us to be. And God, I pray today that today for some of us would be a day of salvation. God, for those who don't know Christ as their Savior, I pray that today will be their day where they realize that you do love them so much that Jesus died on the cross for all their sins that they can confess him to be the Lord of their life and they would be saved. God, I pray for others that today will be a day of deliverance. Maybe there's been sins and struggles and issues and and shame that have been kind of secretly hidden in the recesses of hearts for years and years and years. And God, we know that you, we sang it earlier today, there's not a single mountain you can't move. Help us to trust that now by faith and obedience. And God, I pray for every single one here today that professes the name of Christ. I pray that we would not look at the culture and sit in our thrones of judgment and condemnation. But instead, it would all the more compel us to remember what you saved us from. And having heard that gospel message of salvation and eternal life, may it convict us to go from here and not to run away, but to run to proclaiming the gospel message so that others will be saved and that others will experience the same change and cleansing that we've experienced in our life. I pray these things in Jesus' name.